My friends, as we read um, the Passion of our Lord and reflect upon this great act of love, which our God showed for us, um, we're confronted in that Passion reading by um, a total breakdown of everything, really, and we can reflect on it just in a few key individuals. Um, the first is Peter. Um, Peter, the, uh, the vicar of Christ, right? You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Um, Peter, who um, thinks that he has to resort to violence by pulling out his sword and wildly swinging. Peter can't do anything right, even. He, he's trying to defend our Lord, and he's, you know, obviously aiming for the head, um, and that he, he ends up missing mildly, probably bouncing off the guy's helmet and cutting off his ear, um, thinking that this is what we got to do. That I'm the head of the church. We're going to use violence um, to do what we need. And then that brash Peter is confronted, and I know I mentioned this on Sunday, um, that brash Peter is confronted at the gate of the high priest's house by, um, by the gatekeeper, which in the Greek word, it really points out that this is like a little girl, right? This would have been like a seven or eight-year-old girl who's tending the gate. That's just her, her job. Probably one of her parents works somewhere in the, um, in the high priest's residence. And so her job's just to open and close. And so this little eight-year-old girl says like, oh, you're one of his disciples. No. And he starts swearing and shouting, I am not. He denies it. Uh, he denies our Lord. The, the one who confessed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, denies our Lord three times. A total breakdown there of uh, the disciples and the, all the other ones had run away and Judas obviously there betrays our Lord. A total breakdown of who they were supposed to be and even the promises that they made. And then the high priests um, questioning our Lord, uh, but in this kind of sham trial that they are, um, he's already bound and he's already, you know, looking like a condemned man, and they're already striking him, um, and that he's just saying, if I've spoken wrongly, testify. Um, Jesus, in the midst of all of this, is, is not enabling their evil, but he's, he's kind of calling it out. If I've spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. If I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Um, and they send him off to Caiaphas, and then they send him off to Pilate. Uh, and then Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who, as the Roman procurator, was supposed to uphold law and order. Um, Pilate, who's supposed to stand um, for, for the right order there, and he, um, and that when civil officials who are supposed to be um, on the civil sphere defending the order of nature and of justice and natural justice and law, um, when Pilate responds, when Jesus says, um, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? Um, when our civil leaders lose a sense of what is truth, what's true, um, when then laws just become about mob rule, um, we have a total breakdown of law and order there. And that Pilate ultimately, who has lost the truth, who has no, scornfully almost is the way I kind of read and pray this, what is truth? Scornfully, um, mocking almost the truth, then when he, has, he doesn't have a leg to stand on, when the Jews continue um, to, to push him, to hand him over, to, he knows, he says it multiple times, I find no cause in him. I don't, he's not guilty, right? I find no guilt in him, but we'll have him scourged. Um, then we'll hand him back to you. We'll scourge an innocent man. Oh, and then we'll no, crucify him. Cru okay, wishing to satisfy the crowd. 
Um, Pilate hands him over to be crucified. Then we have the chief priests, um, the instigators of so much of this. And there's a line here that I reflect upon every, um, every Good Friday, that when the chief priests in this ultimate climax now of their, of their going back and forth with Pontius Pilate to hand over our Lord to be crucified, Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. For the Jewish people, who is the king of Israel? God. God is the king of Israel. Even King David or Saul in the Davidic line after David, um, they're, they're just meant to be, um, God is the king of Israel. He's the one who um, rules over his people. And the earthly kings are just meant to share in God's kingship. Um, and so for them, the Jewish leaders, to the chief priests, even it's not even the crowd at this point, it's the chief priests who should most confess our Lord and the kingship of Almighty God to say, we have no king but Caesar. When the church is subjected purely to civil ends, when it's just satisfying popularity, when it's satisfying a civic agenda, um, and that turning over our authority as the church entirely over to that, that, as um, was a, a phrase, and Bishop Barron points out a lot, a phrase after the Second Vatican Council, that the church, the world, sets the agenda for the church. How backwards is that? The, it's the church, rather, that should set the agenda, the tone for the world. Um, but when the leaders of the churches, bishops and, and priests, um, end up putting worldly motives and worldly gain in, as first place, then we say... We have no king but Caesar. And our betrayal is just as tragic, if not more tragic, than that of the chief priests. And so in the midst of all of this dysfunction, in the midst of this total breakdown, we, as we contemplate the passion, see the figure of our Lord, Jesus himself, our God, who meets all of this and bears it all, Everything that could go wrong does. And he is entering into that to sanctify it. Beginning with going out to the garden, going out to those who want to arrest him. Who are you looking for? Jesus, the Nazarene. And he says, I am here in our lectionary. That's capitalized. I am. It's not just I'm, I'm him. I am the divine name. I am the name that God revealed. His name revealed to Moses in the burning bush. I am. And we hear that these guards, these band of soldiers with their lanterns, torches, and weapons fall to the ground powerless at just the words, I am. Jesus could summon legions of angels um, to come to his assistance like that. But rather, he enters into this willingly, we see. Before the high priest, as I said, he, um, he challenged, testified of the wrong if there's wrong there. Otherwise, why are you striking me? To Pilate, he goes back and forth with him twice. And then at, a, at a second, that second one, where Pilate now is afraid that, you know, uh, they, he made himself son of God. And so Pilate, where, where are you from? No, we're not answering foolish questions anymore. Jesus answered him, nothing. You have no power over me, our Lord says. You have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. The ones who handed me over to you, they have the greater fault almost giving Pilate a little mercy, um, letting him off the hook just a little bit. The ones who handed me over, they have greater than carrying his cross, 
Um, and then praying on the cross in other gospel accounts. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Making excuses. The tremendous love of our Lord. Not entering into this with rage and with anger, but rather out of total love. He makes excuses for those who are nailing him to the cross as they're doing it. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And then in the midst of that as well, in another account, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Which is the incipit. It's the first line of, of a psalm, which is actually all about, um, yes, being, being persecuted and being scorned and being rejected and being, um, being beaten and tortured, but ends with, but I'll trust in the Lord. And so Jesus is beginning praying the psalm. Even there, some of the bystanders mock him as he's praying and giving us a model of prayer. And they say, oh, he's calling on Elijah. He's not calling on, it's actually my God, my God, my Eloi, Eloi. But the religiously uneducated who make fun of those who would pray in their hour of need, who mock them. But even in the midst of that, our Lord prays. And on the cross, he's redeeming us. He's doing it all, all of this. Jesus freely laying down his life. And then we'll, begin, we'll celebrate tomorrow night, taking it up again in his resurrection, but freely laying down his life here. Um, and to the full, not cutting any corners. Um, and that Jesus does this for us. Why would Jesus do this? What's his motivation? To prove them wrong, to show how much stronger than them he is. Um, just to get it done because it's what we have to do. No. Jesus acts in all of this out of love. Out of love for you and for me. Jesus is loving us in the passion. In every minute, he is seeing you and me, as I said this past weekend, personally. And he's doing it out of love for us. He's atoning for our sins. What earned the passion? My sins. My sins are what nailed our Lord to the cross. It's my sin and my guilt and every single one of us with every sin we commit, every grave sin, every mortal sin, it's my sin that nails our Lord to the cross. It was our infirmities that he bore, our sufferings that he endured. Jesus undergoes his passion so that we don't have to. He pays my debt. He, out of his total love, pays the debt of my sin. I mean, look, if one of you today said, Father Casey, I'm going to pay off the rest of your car. Like, thank you. I'd be grateful um, for a while, right? And then I'd kind of forget about it and move on, but I'd, I'd be grateful, right? Um, you know, I want to pay off the rest of your house. Well, I don't have a house, but for anyone that has a mortgage, right? I want to pay off your house. You're in prison. I, I want to take your prison sentence. I'll be in prison in place of you. A life sentence capital sentence. I will take your place for out of love. An eternal sentence for sin. Jesus pays our eternal debt out of love. Out of love for us. Our Savior does all this because he loves us. The whole time, every time you read the Passion, remember, Jesus sees you and me by name. He redeems Every sin, every one, 
personally, specifically. He sees it by name. And so what's our response? First, gratitude toward our Lord. But then it's St. Paul, or actually it's the, the author to the letter to the Hebrews, maybe Paul, maybe someone associated with him. So what do we do? Let us confidently approach the throne of grace. What is the throne of grace? The cross. And from the cross, the sacraments. Let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace for timely help. It's from the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross. That's the throne of grace by which all the church's sacraments flow. The soldier thrust a lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. Signs of baptism and the Eucharist. But all of the sacraments contained therein by which we are washed clean. Blood and water flowing from the side of our Lord. And so we should confidently approach the sacraments. We should never be afraid to go to our Lord. How ridiculous would it be to say, I've sinned. And so I, I, I can't go to confession, I sinned. Like, no, that's what it's for. We go to confession. We get baptized if we're not baptized. We go, we're anointed when we're, when we're sick and when we're close to death with any kind of grave illness. Uh, we, go to, we get anointed. We receive Holy Communion and we're strengthened by our Lord. Let us confidently approach the sacraments. Jesus did it for us. How foolish would it be if one of you pays off my car for me to keep writing checks to the bank? How Jesus did this for us. And so we need to confidently but gratefully approach this throne of grace so we can receive mercy and find grace for timely help. My friends, this is what our priest, our high priest, our God does for us. And so this Good Friday, meditating upon his passion, we should thank him. We should see everything that happens and how he does it all personally with love for us. And then in concluding um, tonight, we see that from the cross, our Lord saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved. He says, woman, behold your son, said to the disciple who can stand for each one of us, John, this is the disciple John, the evangelist, he does identify himself so he could stand for each one of us. Behold your mother. And so we turn to Our Lady and we ask her to help us to live the grace of the sacraments, to help us to appreciate and love the death of her son for our salvation. We ask our mother to pray for us so that we may confidently live, know and live the passion of our Lord. And then with great confidence, approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace for timely help.